Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Have you ever felt like the world was spinning out of control? Most of us would answer yes to that question. And if we're honest, we may say at that moment, where is God? This is what the people of Jerusalem were saying when the Babylonians invaded them in about 605 BC. The prophet Habakkuk had a difficult task of telling people that God allowed this because of their sin. But he also told the people God would show up because he always does for his people. To learn more, let's join Pastor Jim in Habakkuk chapter 3 for part 1 of his message, Rejoicing in the God Who Shows Up. Well, when terrible things happen... When the world is spinning out of control, many people ask, where was God? Other people will debate if this God, whoever he may be, even exists, and some will question the fact if he does exist, is he good or is he powerful? Now, in our passage today, it's about 600 BC, uh, the wicked World superpower Babylonians are marching towards Judea, the area of Jerusalem, and perhaps such discussions are taking place among people who would profess to be believers. Where is God? What is going on? Then they hear the prophet Habakkuk, and he comes along and he says, well, here's why they're coming. God's letting them through because of the sin of his people, because of our sin, And I doubt that they were too happy to hear that. Then in chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord said, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now, to some people, maybe even to you, that must have been like sandpaper. To hear that God's letting the the proud Babylonians come in and, and calling them upright, and, and then to say that the just shall live is by his faith, for some of you, you might think, I don't get that. It's, it's, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. God, it doesn't seem to work. Then in chapter 3, verse 2, which we looked at last week, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. And then this key statement, in wrath... Remember mercy. The Babylonians are coming and they're going to bring God's wrath and Habakkuk wants God to remember mercy. So just imagine you're one of the people, you're listening to Habakkuk and what might you say to him? Something like this, okay, Mr. Smart Guy Prophet, we get it. We abandon God. We, we need to start living by faith and we see that the Babylonians are coming, but you still have not answered the questions. Where is God? And today, Habakkuk is going to answer that question, he's coming, he's coming. And how do you know he's coming? Answer, because he always comes. The title of our message this morning is Rejoicing in the God Who Shows Up. Rejoicing in the God Who Shows Up. 
As Habakkuk sees the saving God who shows up, we notice it pulls him into prayer and it pulls him into worship. And the fact of the matter is this. The way you and I think about God, the way you and I think about God affects the way we think, the way we pray, and the way we live. In chapter one, Habakkuk asked, why? That was the big question, why God? And chapter one about Habakkuk, here's the thing. It's easy for us to understand why, and it preaches. I mean, people love to hear that kind of stuff. Like, we can ask God why. But today's verses, in some ways, like last week, are particularly tough. You say, why? Because today, and I purposely didn't go into the last section, which we'll cover next time, today we have 13 verses that are just about God. Now, you say, what are you talking about? That is something I think, believe it or not, we're really not all that used to in the American church. I'll challenge us that a lot of times we really don't like sermons about God as much as we like sermons about us and how God's gonna help us get to the place where we wanna be. The goal is to try to, as we read through this, because the language is very interesting, if you read ahead, to try and understand some of the figures of speech that Habakkuk is using and then step back from the figures of speech and step into and gaze at the splendor of God. You might ask, well, I get it, but how can that help me? It will in the same way it did help the Bible writers who realize that in tough times, looking to the past, present, and future deeds of God. You say future, well, remember the prophets, they looked into the future and we have it, but looking into the past, present, and future deeds of God actually builds their faith by being spectators, and in the way you only do that is really by looking back to what God has done already and then looking into your day and then looking forward to the future, by being spectators of the divine majesty of God, it actually helped them hold it together, and it's important that we engage in that practice ourselves. So just imagine the Babylonians are coming to march on your city your little Judea, your little Jerusalem, your little southern Israel, and they are the world's superpower. We already covered that they were rolling over everybody. You have no chance. Without God, you have no chance at all. It's just no way it's happening. There's no odds in Vegas or anything like that because you have no chance. And they are looking back at the past deeds of God and they're saying, you know what? God has rescued his people before. We believe that God can rescue his people again. And when we start to think this way, this can move our hearts and our minds from faith to triumph by seeing, but not only seeing, seeing and expecting the person and power of God 
to show up. So if you're taking notes, there's only two things, we're gonna break this passage into two parts today, two things we want to look at. Number one, what we see when God shows up. What we see when God shows up. Look at verse three. God came, remember the language is graphic, it's supposed to make us think a little bit more beyond just what's there to some symbolism. God came, right there, there you have it. It's what we call a theophany, which means the appearance of God in power and glory. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. Now that would usually mean to pause, or if it's a song, a, a musical pause, pause and think. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Now, most Bible scholars think that this is a vision of God delivering his people from Egypt in the Exodus. Basically, what he's saying is that the Lord came from the areas of Mount Sinai. Remember now, the language is figurative. We might think of it this way. The Lord came from where he was in Mount Sinai to where his people were in Egypt to bring them back to his place at Mount Sinai. Same thing we think of Jesus. He came from heaven to earth to bring those who put their trust in him back to heaven with him. But, but the details, a lot of people get lost in the details. I don't think the details are the point. Rather, the point is the arrival of God and his presence with his people in a time of need. It also could mean this, I think, that we should be aware of the fact that sometimes, oftentimes, God comes from an unexpected direction to deliver his people. When you least expect it, we might say God shows up. That shows us that, that regardless of the specifics, Habakkuk is confident in the certainty of God's work. Habakkuk calls God the Holy One. That was Isaiah's favorite name for God. It is the name that Isaiah uses and the Bible uses to describe God's perfect moral purity. It's also a term that refers to God being separate from all the other false gods of this world, who really, we're gonna use that term false gods as we go along, but false gods really don't exist. That's why we call them false gods. They exist in the minds of people. But also the term holy one has to do with God's majesty. And so here we have this picture of God's presence, of God's coming in, in power. And his power and his presence should cause in us wonder. It should cause awe. It should cause reverence. And those people in the presence of God who are aware of their sin will bow at his feet in the presence of his holiness. But the term also means when we talk about the Holy One, it also means in some sense that God must keep his people close. Why must God keep his people close? Because it's true to his nature. It is a characteristic of who he is. And the verse concludes, his glory covered the heavens 
and the earth was full of his praise. When God comes, when his presence is sensed, when he is seen and felt in a powerful way in heaven and on earth, wherever one would look, all around they could look, it could be seen. If you, if you look around, actually, on the earth, if you look carefully, you can, in various ways, see his presence. But I will tell you one thing. You can't manufacture it. A lot of people try and manufacture it, but they can't manufacture it, and it ends up just sort of being this, like, this pep rally or something like that. God comes when he wants to come. Verse 4. His brightness, some versions say splendor, was like the light. Now, lightning might be a better word. He had rays flashing from his hand. And notice this, and there his power was hidden, some versions say veiled. Verse 5, before him went pestilence and fever, some versions say plague, Followed at his feet, some people, some verses say followed at his steps or his heels. He stood and measured, so he's, he's measuring, he's checking out the earth. He looked and startled the nations, some versions say he made them tremble. And the everlasting, the idea is the ancient or the age-old mountains were scattered. Another version says they crumbled. Uh, the, the perpetual hills, the same thing, age old, ancient, uh, hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. Verse seven, he says, I saw, remember prophets had visions, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, uh, the curtains, some versions say dwellings, of the land of Midian trembled. Why? Because they were the enemies of God. So again, there's a lot of language there. We could spend a lot of time trying to figure out exactly everything, but we'd be here forever. Let's see what we can really just summarize it as. Here we see the coming of the Lord is seen as being bright. Got that? Dangerous and terrifying. The the light of lightning refers to the radiance of God's presence and the brightness of the glory of God. Now, you say, I, I sort of get it. And the reason is, is that the coming of God, it's like when the Apostle Paul went to heaven. I know the guys write the books that say they knew exactly what was going on. Paul was like, there was really no words for it. There's really no words, humanly speaking, to describe the coming of God. The point of the matter is, is that wherever God is, His glory shines in unusual brightness. And the term his hands uh, pertains to the working of his hand that shows that he's ready to what? He's ready to defend and he's ready to save his people. Yet, despite the cosmic light show that's going on, we're told that his power was hidden. Why? It's just too powerful for us. We can't look upon it. Probably the reason why the the Lord was hidden in a cloud in in the wilderness. I think of some of these things, I think of whenever, especially at the beach, but in other places, when you see a blazing sunrise, and I like to look at that and think, oh Lord, 
that is dim compared to your brightness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says that the Lord is dwelling in unapproachable light when no man has seen or can see. John's gospel says this, speaking of when God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation. This is a scary verse. Oh, this is the, the judgment. This is the verdict. That the light, Jesus, has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That explains why people reject Jesus. They reject Jesus, they reject the light because they'd rather do what they want to do than what Jesus wants them to do. Verse 5 here, going back to Habakkuk chapter 3, tells us that pestilence, think of a fatal disease of some sort, and fever, usually associated with a plague, are personified excuse me, as coming with the Lord in judgment. Now, these two things, pestilence and fever or plague, are common in war. They happen quite a bit in war when uh, health conditions deteriorate. They're also common in God-disciplining nations. And also, they are common in God-disciplining his own people. All very sobering reminders to us that all things are subject to the living God. Now, these things were also weapons that were used by God against the Egyptians in Moses' day to get them to set God's people free. Now, this is something you might hear uh, every once in a while. You may hear people say this, you know, all this judgment in the Old Testament, this is why I don't read it. Let me ask you, friend, on this one. You say, I only read the New Testament. I don't want to know anything about all that that judgment. Now, let me challenge you on this, loved ones. How then do you think of the cross? If you don't like the idea of God's judgment, what do you make of the cross? You know, Hebrews 10.31 in the New Testament says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if you want to know what that looks like, you can see many examples of it in the Old Testament, but you can see an example of it as well on the cross. At the cross, God comes in judgment on sin. The judgment is put on Jesus, the sinless one. Why does he do that? Well, Habakkuk already told us last week, and we already read the verse. He comes in judgment on sin at the cross to bring mercy to sinners. In his wrath, he deals with the sin, but also he brings mercy. That's why Jesus said, if you want to go to heaven, you have to repent and believe. You have to repent, you have to be willing to turn from your sin to God, and you have to believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins. Here in Habakkuk, in verse 6 and 7, we see that the earth shakes, The nations are startled. The mountains tremble. We might put it this way. What seems to be so very strong and have such a solid foundation is seen to be frail, seen to be weak, seem to have almost no foundation at all. 
Also, the mountains and the hilltops were the, also were the homes to the false Canaanite gods that had sucked God's people in. So God doesn't only want to discipline his people, he wants to get those false gods out of the land, and it worked when the Babylonians came. But those mountains, those hilltops that, that housed the Canaanite gods, they crumble before the living God. And how does God take them out? How does God take them down? In verse six, two words, he looked. That's it. He looked. That's all it takes for a cosmic upheaval. That's all it takes for God just to take a look to make this planet, to make earth jump like a frog. That's, a, that's all it takes. A simple look of God. The things of nature, which many of us think have always been and always will be, will bow at the feet of the eternal king, their creator. Remember Jesus said, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that, that they, you know, he's coming in on uh, Palm Sunday on the triumphal entry and the religious leaders were like, hey, you know, stop it. Stop all the commotion. Tell your people not to, not to be saying all this stuff about you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But, but Jesus said, hey, if they don't say it, the rocks will. Everything is sort of like, you know, just at its status quo right now, but there will come a time, figuratively speaking, or maybe even actually, when nature will sing his praises to the glory of God. This is why we sing. This is why we sing songs of worship of the Lord's glory and the Lord's might. This is why we serve our king. And what are some words in this passage we could use about our king? Well, one thing is we could say about him, and we're experiencing it right now, he is a disrupting king. He has come now and he's going to disrupt the world. He is right now perhaps disrupting our world. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm glad that you're here today and maybe you keep watching and you're like, I don't know what's happening to me. He's disrupting your world. And let me tell you something from someone who tried to fight that battle, you will lose. You will lose. So I would implore you, beg you to put your trust in Jesus today. So we, we serve him because he is our wonderful king. He's our disrupting king, and we celebrate him. Part of our singing the songs of his glory and his might is we are celebrating with him his past, present, and future victories. So that's number one, what we see when God shows up. Number two is the reason why God shows up. The reason why God shows up. Look at verse eight. Now Habakkuk is actually addressing the Lord directly, uh, the, directing the victorious warrior God, and he begins with a question. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath or your rage against the sea? That or when you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Perhaps he's, 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 he's asking about the Nile, when you messed up the Nile River in Egypt, were you mad at the river? When, when the people crossed the Red Sea and you parted it, were you, were you upset with the Red Sea or, or, the, or the Jordan River when Joshua took the people in to the Promised Land? Were you, were you upset with that? Or, or maybe thinking about the ocean, right, with, with Jonah. Were you, were you mad at the ocean when that happened? Lord, were you angry 
with the water? The obvious answer is no. We're not supposed to think that God was angry with the water. The idea is that when the Lord comes in power, he will come controlling everything, including the forces of nature, which he will use often the forces of nature as his weapons as he fights against people. Now, it's very interesting when it talks about the Lord uh, parting the sea and moving the sea and stuff like that. There's a great term that's used for it. It just says that all he has to do is blast his nostrils. Could you imagine that? So all the upheaval is he just gives a look. And one time he looks at the sea and he looks down and goes, you know, kind of snorts at it. <laughs> and, and there it goes. And it just parts. The Lord's anger is not against the water. The Lord's anger is against those who have enslaved his people and the false gods that they encouraged their people to serve and they themselves served. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.